Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Ho, ho, hello, and welcome to episode 21 of Supermates, the Husband and Wife Geek Cast. I'm Chris. And I'm Cindy. Uh, in case you're, like, in a cave somewhere, uh, you probably noticed that it's Christmas time. And, uh, well, duh. <laughs> and so, of course, we thought we would do some, you know, a whole episode full of bad Christmas song impersonations. No. <laughs> no. Not even Solomon Grundy. <laughs> No, I meant like real Christmas songs, you know, like you do oh. like some some bad Bing Crosby. Well, and, I'm always afraid because they keep asking for Solomon Grundy. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Now we can do that. So, some, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't, we won't do that to you. So we actually thought, this was actually Cindy's idea. We were talking about, well, what, 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 what can we do for, you know, for a Christmas episode? You know, that idea of doing some different Christmas comics came up and and different Christmas episodes and you know we always go back to uh, Cindy's personal favorite version. Bruce Tim yeah <laughs> Cindy's personal favorite version of the DC universe which Bruce is, Tim the version which is the DC animated universe version the the Tim verse if you if you will and actually the best verse and actually the things we're going to cover this time is actually Bruce Tim and Paul Dini uh, involved in all aspects so we thought we'd cover those so when you're talking about if you're talking about the episodes of the animated series you can go back to the very first some of the one of the very first batman animated series episode was christmas with the joker and i mean that one's a lot of fun but it's not the animated series at its best i mean they were still they were still figuring their way around uh what they wanted to do um, and i think early on they had some people involved with the show that well, it's kind of like vanilla frosting versus chocolate frosting. It, it's okay. It's good in its own right, but it ain't chocolate. Right, right. So, so we decided to kind of bypass that one. It it does have suffer from some of the early problems that Tim and the company had with the show. So we thought we would talk about, uh, in between the two versions of the show, uh, well, while the first version of Batman the Animated Series was, was airing, of course, they started the Batman Adventures comic. And that was in a time when the Batman, the regular continuity Batman comics were in the middle of things like Night's Fall and Night's End and Night Quest and Nighty Night and all sorts of stuff. I mean, which I enjoyed, except Night Quest went on way too long. You could go to the animated series comic, The Batman Adventures, and get, you know, regular Batman stories, which was great. And they had a bunch of really great creators on that, including the late, great Mike Pyrebeck. But they put out a special one year that was called the the Batman Adventures Holiday Special in 1990. Uh, well, it was in 1994, dated January 1995. The, this uh, comic came about because Paul Dini had pitched the idea of some short holiday stories to DC, and they were 
interested in, in, in having him write them. Bruce Tim said, hey, you know, this would be a great way for the crew to work on a comic because all the guys wanted to work on a Batman comic. So this became a comic project for the actual people who worked on Batman the Animated Series. So it's the animated series in its purest comic book form. And it's just a whole lot of fun. These stories, if you don't have this comic, as we talk about it, these stories are going to seem kind of familiar to you. And uh, we'll get to that uh, later. So we'll be semi-secretive, although I think most people probably know where we're going with this. But. So the Batman Adventures Holiday Special number 1 was, as I said, dated January 1985. It had a cover... 95. I said 1995. You said 85. Oh, sorry. 1980. I almost said it again. 1995. See, he's allowed to be addled because on the day that we're recording this is actually Chris's 40th birthday. Yay. You had to get that in there again. Thanks. Uh-huh. Appreciate it. So the Batman Adventures Holiday Special was dated January 1995. The cover was by Bruce Tim. It features a very shadowy... Uh, face of Mr. Freeze with only his red goggles being the only color and in the reflection of his domed helmet you see Batman and Batgirl and that scene does not appear anywhere in this story in this comic book (laughs) but but it's still really cool so uh, the whole comic book was lettered by Richard Starkings and Comic Craft Darren Vincenzo was the associate editor and Scott Peterson was the editor the story starts with a one-page intro by Paul Dini with art by Dan Reba, and it's colored by Bruce Tim. And this page establishes the date is December the 1st. This sets up the structure of the whole comic, because this comic is made up of several different stories, several vignettes, and they all happen across the calendar during the Christmas season. So this one is December the 1st, and then the next one picks up on another date. So the first actual story is called Jolly Old St. Nicholas. It, like all the stories in this book, written by Paul Dini, this time with Bruce Tim, with art and color by Bruce Tim. December 3rd. Barbara Gordon shops for her father's Christmas at a packed Mayfields department store. She notices the familiar Mall Santa and Elf, police officers Bullock and Montoya, undercover to catch a very persistent shoplifter. Bullock is his usual slovenly outspoken self, but even he manages to show a bit of the Christmas spirit when the daughter of one of his arrests asks when Daddy is coming home. The ever-alert Barbara spots a kid stealing a necklace, but when she grabs him, his hand melts off into goo. At this exact moment, Montoya receives a message about juvenile thieves, and her and Bullock leap into action. Four fleeing children converge and meld into Clayface. In the chaos, Barbara ducks into a changing room and emerges as Batgirl, proud of her quick changing time. Bullock and Montoya are no match for the human mudslide, but luckily the Domino Daredoll arrives in time and kicks the monster through the window out onto the frozen ice skating pond below. Bullock and Montoya's bullets continue to be ineffective, but Batgirl has an idea. Don't waste your ammo on him! Shoot the Santa! You wouldn't. Not you, dope! That's Santa! Bullock is shocked, but Montoya points to the other Santa, the lighted decoration above. The two cops shoot it down, and when the wires hit the exposed icy water, Clayface is electrified. And falls dormant. 
Bullock is happy to see the case closed, but is none too happy to find they have to recover the evidence by digging through Clayface's body. Now, according to the Modern Masters book on Bruce Tim by Eric Nolan Wethington, he sat down to draw the story, and he realized there were no sexy girls in it. And uh, aside from apparently, this is a problem. Yeah, this is a problem for Bruce Tim. Uh, so he concocted adding Batgirl to the mix since all his previous DC work had had a sexy girl in it. And so the story became more of a Batgirl story when it was originally going to be a Bullock and Montoya story. Right, right. But I, for one, am glad because you never can have too much Batgirl. Right. So, and I really like their, their take on Batgirl, you know. And this was at a time when, you know, there was no Batgirl in the comics. I mean, I really do think them using Batgirl the way they did really helped raise her stocks. So yeah, it did and it helped people finally get you know, oh Alan Moore crippled her so it's got, we can't change it, you know and uh, I think, and I, and I love what they did with her as Oracle. Right, people like right. Chuck Dixon and, and John Ostrander and, and Suicide Squad and stuff, I loved what they did there, but there's just I think I, it was an interview somewhere you know, Bruce Tim actually said Everybody loves Batgirl. Well, everybody but DC Comics. I think he said that at, wow. one, point. at one point. I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much what he was getting at. Everybody but the people that work at DC love Batgirl. Although, you know, he, he does bring the sexy because he draws Montoya in a oh, micro... Oh, my gosh. Micro, micro mini. Micro mini. It's basically a raggedy shirt. With oh, no bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> but she does say, and look what I'm wearing. Because, you know, Bullock m complains in the story about, I'm dressed as Santa Claus. Da, da, da. And she's like, well, at least you're dressed. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I see her point. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny, too, because when Barbara goes off to, uh, to change, you know, it shows her in the dressing room. But, you know, rather than have her Batgirl uniform under her outfit, it shows her like... You know, actually changing. It's like she took her civilian top off and it shows her putting her Batgirl top on. Uh -huh. So it's like she had her Batgirl top in her purse or something somewhere. Which, you know, she needs the old trick that they used in the comics. Where yeah, she where you flipped it around. Flipped and it around and her hat becomes her cowl and her, you know, all that stuff. Which Yvonne Craig did do in the little Batgirl pilot. But I know, and they never did it. All right. Uh, but anyway, I digress. Yeah, we do digress. <laughs> Bullock has some really great lines in this one. This kid's like, you're not the real Santa Claus. He's like, sure I am. Want to see my gun? Yes. <laughs> but the little girl, you know, when she, the, the little girl comes up and says, you know, Santa, you know, I, I. That's it, what she wants for she Christmas. She wants for Christmas is her daddy to come home. And yeah. she says his name's like, uh, what's her name? Her name's something McSweeney. McSweeney. Mad Dog McSweeney. And he says, you're Mad Dog McSweeney's daughter? And, and he's like, he whispers to Montoya, it's like, I put her dad, I just sent her dad up the river, you know? Right, right. And she, he slips her a 50. Yeah. In the comic, you can tell he slips her a 50. And, and uh, she says, oh, can I get my daddy something? He's like, sure, as long as it's not a hacksaw or a file right. or something. <laughs> when Bad Girl enters, you know, she kicks... Clayface in this huge big splash page and the sound effect running across the splash page in huge letters is splooge. I kid you not it says splooge. Which I had to explain to you what. Uh, yeah I, I didn't get it. Yeah. I was like what? If I have to explain it to you then don't worry about it but if you know what it is and you know that either 
Bruce Tim knew what Bruce Tim probably knew what he was doing. <laughs> and two, the editors probably knew what they were doing, or they were in the same boat you were and didn't realize what they were doing. Well, uh, you know, and you would think, I mean, I've got a dirty mind. I should have known. <laughs> you know. And when you told me, I was like, uh. <laughs> Also, you know, Bullock, Bullock actually, when Clayface is, you know, electrified and laying dormant on the pond, he calls Clayface... Bullet calls him Frosty the Lawn Cigar. <laughs> it could have been worse. He could have called him Frosty the Dog Log or something. Gross. <laughs> Gross. Christopher. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Not at the end, you know, when Montoya tells him we still got to recover the evidence, he's, he's got the line of ho, ho, friggin' ho. <laughs> <laughs> That's, a, that's just a great story to kick things off with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, just a lot of fun. We, they did a lot for Batgirl. I mean, they did a... T- I mean, Clayface. I mean, that character was just totally... You know, they had... Uh, you know, there was several different Clayfaces, but, you know, they... On the animated series, they actually thought about how effective a giant mud monster could be. Right. You know, and I mean, they made him more monstrous, and they made it in, in the... They made him sympathetic as well. And, uh, in fact, I mean, the episode where he is almost cured. And Batman, Batman is the one that messes it up. Batman is the biggest prick in that episode. It's the episode called Mudslide. And if Batman had just stayed back for like five minutes, let that woman scientist who was obsessed with uh, Matt Hagen, the actor, cure him... Then he could have took him to jail. Right. Instead of letting him dissipate into, like, the rainwater. Talk about a buzzkill. Oh, yeah. That Batman is at his absolute... Assholiest. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's it's bat dickery instead of super dickery. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, you want to take the next story? Sure. The next story featured is called The Harley and the Ivy, and the story is by Paul Denny and Ronnie Del Carmen. Written by Paul Denny. Art and color by Ronnie Del Carmen. The date given is December 17th. Hiding out in a skanky apartment, Harley Quinn is depressed that they have no Christmas decorations. She wants a tree, but the botanically obsessed Poison Ivy won't have it. She does have a plan for them to get some Christmas cheer, however. At Veronica Breland's Christmas party, Bruce Wayne narrowly escapes a small army of amorous socialites while under the mistletoe. But one mysterious woman manages to plant a kiss on him. Leaving the party, he is compelled to a strange car and finds Harley and Ivy inside. They explain that Ivy's lipstick has him in their thrall, and they drive to Mayfield's department store. A lot of action going on at Mayfield. Mm-hmm. There, they go on a mad shopping spree, practically melting Bruce's credit cards. That didn't seem like a bad thing. They don't realize that they're dealing with the will of the Batman, however, and soon he begins to break free of their control. Attempting to put him back under again with another kiss, Harley backs him into an open elevator shaft, and the millionaire apparently falls to his death. I've had just about enough of this. I think the stuff is wearing off. Can't have that. Give him another shot. Right, Rooney. Give me some sugar, baby. No, not again. Whoa! Oh, well, we were going to do it anyway. We got his credit cards. What's to worry? 
then they leave the store with their ill-gotten booty and run into the Batman. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. I love you. <laughs> the Dark Knight chases them into the toy store where the girls seem to have the drop on him until he drops something on them. The two ladies of Larceny are crushed beneath a giant Christmas tree. But Harley finally got what she wanted for Christmas. Well, here's your stupid tree. You happy? Yeah. <laughs> they established on the animated series that Harley and Ivy were were buddies, you know. Right. And so this was another like a, a sequel to that that episode. And probably the second time that they really team those two up. So it's, you know, just, of course, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Ivy <laughs> Ivy actually questions Harley's interest in Christmas decorations. Besides, aren't you Jewish? <laughs> right. You know, wait a minute here. Yeah. And, but, you know, they're pretty. Right. You know, and, of course, you know, because not just Bruce Tim, but all of his guys, you know, Harley has shown that she's, lay, she's laying around in a sweater and underwear just because. You know, but, but they don't show anything. No, oh, it's still tasteful, know. but you know, it's obviously cheesecake. You know, oh yeah, yeah. Veronica Vreeland was um, a recurring character on the animated series, and uh, she was actually voiced by Mary Lou Henner on there. You know, I, I kind of liked. She was one of those characters that would just occasionally show up, and, right? But that's the type of thing that makes a universe feel feel real when. You know, the people rota- rotating in and out. Like, she was important in a the episode about the Mad Hatter and the, the voodoo, voodoo dolls. dolls. Yeah. And then the one about the penguin where he tried to enter society and everything. Yeah. So, so uh, she did... Uh, did they ever have them hook up? I'm trying to remember. Her and Bruce? Yeah. No, I think they... Which, well, I, I didn't think so. And that was my going to be my point. Is that I like that they didn't hook them up. It, you know, it shows that, you know, he had society circles that he moved within that, you know, not everybody. Right. You know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you kind of got the impression that they probably dated at some point. Right. But nothing. Nothing serious. Yeah. Well, he's not going to let anything get serious. Well, no, but I'm saying, you know. Yeah. Of course, you know, when Batman goes into the toy store, uh, and, and actually fights the Harley and Ivy there, they, you know, throw giant Christmas decorations at him. And those of, you know, giant props in a Batman story. It's it's the uh, Bill Finger, Dick Sprang right, era right. type stuff. You know, it's it's interesting where some of these guys. I mean, we everybody kind of knows where Paul Dini and Bruce Tim have gone on to. But as we go through some of these other guys that worked on the show, I wanted to point out where they're at and where they've gone since the animated series. Um, the co-plotter and artist Ronnie Del Carmen now works on Disney Pixar animated feature films. And his credits include Up, Ratatouille, Brave, and Monsters University. So he's doing pretty good. Well, yeah. That's what I said. He got in with a good crew there. So the next story is called White Christmas, written by Paul Dini, art and color by Glenn Murakimi. December 24th. Batman investigates a breakout at Arkham Asylum. Victor Freeze has escaped. His doctor at Arkham relates how Freeze was obsessed with the Christmas weather forecast. When he learned no snow was coming, he became more sullen and withdrawn than usual. Batman walks outside to find an unexpected blizzard in effect. In the Batmobile, Batman recounts Mr. Freeze's tragic origin, culminating in the death of his cryogenically frozen wife and his change into the cold and emotionless Mr. Freeze. The Dark Knight learns the warehouse housing Freeze's cryogenic equipment was robbed an hour earlier, including an experimental snowmaker of his design. 
after saving a mother and daughter from a skidding car, Batman makes his way to Gotham Cemetery. There he finds a frozen police car and barely pulls the attending officer out in time. He also finds Mr. Freeze shooting a large cannon into the Gotham sky. After a violent tussle, Batman damages the cannon, which backfires and explodes when Freeze fires it. In the spirit of the evening, Batman shows mercy on his defeated foe and asks Freeze why he did it. The battered madman points to the grave of Nora Freeze and tells Batman of how the two were married on a snowy Christmas Eve. Nora Freeze loves snow and her husband didn't want her to be sad on Christmas Eve. The Batman quietly walks Freeze down the hill back toward Arkham. This is the gut puncher of the of the comic. The uh, heart string puller. Right, uh, right. Paul Dini made Mr. Freeze. I mean, you know, before his Heart of Ice episode and this origin for Mr. Freeze, he was just an also-ran bat villain. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a bat villain that the TV show pure pulled from obscurity. I mean, he had one appearance as Mr. Zero. The TV show renamed him Mr. Freeze and used him and then had him show up three more time, two more times by three different actors. And, yeah, uh, which was so weird. Yeah, so, I mean, pretty George Sanders to Otto Preminger to Eli Wallach. That's a pretty... That's pretty variety. That's a lot of variety. Wild. You know. But yeah, I mean, you know, if it hadn't been for Paul Dini, then Mr. Freeze def I don't think Mr. Freeze would have been the villain in Batman and Robin, which maybe yeah. Would have been not yeah. the chilling sound of your doom. Oh, <laughs> cool party. <laughs> now this story later episodes that aired would contradict this story because Nora Freeze would later be revealed to be alive. But still frozen in the episode Deep Freeze and then Batman, Mr. Freeze, Sub-Zero, which was this a direct-to-video movie mm -hmm. that, uh, that came out. The Batman Adventures comic book worked within the animated series continuity, but it wasn't, then the animated series wasn't beholden to it. Right. So it was basically like, you know, like a Star Trek novel or a Star Wars novel. You know, it, it, you know it, if there was new information that came out of the actual source material, then that was canon. You know, you didn't you didn't really consider the comics canon. Right. Until they unless they adapted it to the to the show. The art and colors on this one are provided by Glenn Murakimi. Now he went on from this to have more responsibilities on the new Batman Adventures version of the show. A lot of responsibility on Batman Beyond and and show ran Teen Titans and the uh, the good version of Ben Ten, the Ben Ten Alien Force, and all that. <laughs> I said the good version, you know. <laughs> yeah, this one story. There's not a lot of dialogue in it. It's it really relies a lot on the art. So in a way, there's not a whole lot to say. You just kind of got to. It's just really beautifully done and and kind of got a haunting. It's got a haunting, quiet quality, like a snowfall. You know, like right. when you go outside and it's it's snowing and everything's just so quiet. You can you can feel that in the story between the art and the colors. It's mm -hmm. just really well done. Now, our next story is called What Are You Doing New Year's Eve? Story by Paul Denny and Bruce Tim, written by Paul Denny, art by Kevin Altieri, mm -hmm. and Butch Lukic. Colors by Glenn Marakimi. Yes. December 31st, the Joker interrupts Gotham TV broadcast with a New Year's resolution. He won't kill anyone for an entire year, so he'll just have to squeeze in some extra deaths before midnight. Following the case, Batman and Commissioner Gordon investigate a murder at Gothcore Labs, a 
A scientist working on a sonic bomb has been murdered in a Joker's trademark fashion. The bomb is capable of killing anyone in earshot without specialized mufflers. Batman surmises Joker has the bomb and he knows where he's going to use it. Joker's got the bomb and he's going to use it tonight. He promised a countdown of victims. And there's no bigger countdown on New Year's Eve than at Gotham Square. At Gotham Square, thousands of Gothamites gather around the large bell and clock, waiting for the annual countdown to ring in the New Year. The Joker plans to do some ringing of his own, and has the bomb in place. He's even arranged to disguise himself somewhat, handing out masks to the crowd in his own image. A shocked Batman finds a throng of Joker wannabes, who will all soon die with a smile on their faces if he can't start stop his arch-nemesis in time. Batman spots the real Joker and his goons wearing the special mufflers, and the battle begins. The Dark Knight makes quick work of the henchman, but the Joker clubs him with an ice bucket of champagne. As the countdown nears its end, Batman grabs the champagne and douses the wiring on the bomb, disabling it. The Joker manages to shoot Batman in the arm, but the giant bell soon tolls for him, crashing on top of his crumpled body. The happy Gothamites ring in the new year, not knowing how close they came to living their last. Yeah, this is a good, of course, you know, the Joker, it's a lot, this is the most intense story in the book, you uh-huh. know, because anytime it's the Joker, it's going to be Right, intense. it's more, boom, you know, dun, dun, yeah, dun, 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 dun. It's, it's more dire, it's, you right. know, he's going to kill, somebody's going to die, and obviously the scientist died, but, you know, the mur- in fact, the murder scene of the scientist, you know, it's still tastefully done, of course, it's nothing like what you'd see now in a comic. Right. But that would have never flown on the Fox Fox, version of the show. Mm -hmm. No, they could have never shown that. You know, blood was barely, rarely ever seen. I think they said in the very first episode on Leather Wings with Man Bat, Batman's, you know, he's beat up, he's scratched up. You know, Man Bat's dragged him across the city. You know, he's got blood on him and stuff. I think that was like their blood quotient was used in that episode. For the season, for For the season. So the fact that Batman got shot was, you know, was something else too. Although occasionally, like, some people, they get shot, like Gordon got shot in that right. uh, I Am the Night episode. But the whole idea of the uh, the New Year's thing, of course, it's a riff on New York and the Dick Clark and, oh, and yeah, everything, definitely. the ball dropping. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's something everybody knows, so it was kind of neat to mingle that in. And the angle of everybody having the Joker's face was, uh, you know, another boost to his ego, which is another reason why the whole Joker cutting his face off doesn't make a damn bit of sense, kids. It's... Bullshit. But anyway, <laughs> the whole point of the Joker is his vanity. That's his biggest thing. And rant over. Sorry. On to what we're here to talk about. <laughs> uh, Kevin Altieri was a director on the animated series, and he still works for Warner Brothers Animation uh, in addition to directing episodes of Transformers Rescue Bots, which is one of Danny's favorites. Yeah, right? one of our little girl's favorites. Yeah. And Butch Lukic went on to work on. WB shows like Ben 10 and Justice League. Oh, well, there you go. So the, sto- the comic wraps up with Should Old Acquaintance Be Forgot? Written by Paul Dini, of course. Art by Dan Ribbo. Colored by Bruce Tim. January 1st, 1.55 a.m. Commissioner James Gordon enters a local bar slash diner while the proprietor shows some inebriated regulars to the door. The bartender wonders if Gordon's buddy will make it due to his rough night. Gordon assures him he'd never break their tradition. As if on cue, Batman enters. He and Gordon share a cup of coffee and both toast to surviving until the next New Year's to do it again. Gordon turns for a moment and his friend is gone, having paid the check. How's that on? Better than the Joker's. 
close one this time. Mm. They're all close ones. Well, here's to survival. Hopefully, we'll be doing this again next New Year's Eve. Hopefully. And now, Joe, if I could get one of your famous cheese steaks to go, I'll be ready to call it a night. Anything for you? One of these years, I'm going to beat him to the check. He's got the money for it. Yeah, that's right. Well, of course, he doesn't, quote, unquote, know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this is a great capper to the whole issue. You know, Batman's shown to be human, but he's still shown, you know, in the shadows. So, you know, he's been injured. He's, he's drinking a cup of coffee, but he's still Batman. It's not like he's just lounging around right. in, a, in a booth, you know. It actually got me to think about, you know, in Kingdom Come, where... Clark and Bruce and Diana go out and Oh, and the Planet order. Krypton. Yeah. That, yeah. That's what it put me in mind. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, that's... I love that. I love that part. <laughs> steak. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... It's like, uh, I'll have a steak. And it's like, oh, what steak would you like? Would you like the uh, the man of beef steak? Well done. You know, it's just... It's, <laughs> Superman tries to order... The beef, uh, what is that? This Superman, I can never pronounce that. Beef more, more, how do you pronounce that? Beef bourguignon or whatever. Yeah. I can never pronounce that word. Do you have anything like beef bourguignon? And the the waitress is like, we've got Starro the casserole. That, that, that'll work. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Starro the casserole. Okay. Dan Rebo. Bolognese? No, I don't think that's it. Oh, anyway, that, go, go back to it. Sorry, I got off on a tangent. Michael Bailey's like, if he's listening to this, he's like, I, he's like pronouncing it out. It's like, what's wrong with you people? So, <laughs> email me, Michael, and write it out phonetically so I can understand how to pronounce it. You know, we're from Kentucky. Yes. Forgive us. <laughs> we don't know about y'all fancy dishes down there. If it ain't fried possum, we just don't know nothing about it. <laughs> Christopher. Roadkill stew. <laughs> We're punchy tonight. We are. Somebody spiked the eggnog. Uh, Dan Reba continues to direct for Warners. He's also worked on Ben 10, including the current version, Ben 10 Omniverse, which has its moments, but it's not as good as the Murakami version. As far as the comic as a whole, when I picked this up off the stands, I you know I was a big, like I said, big fan of the Batman Adventures, but I was really pumped because I knew who these guys were. I'd read enough, paid attention to the credits. I'd read enough interviews already at this point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I recognized most of their names. And a few of them had worked on the, some of the stuff that had been out. But this was the first time that they actually did, like, a whole comic. And it was it was really a special treat. You know, the idea of each story taking place at a different point in the Christmas season, uh, is, is it was genius because, you know, I think it, just about everybody knows you if you if you celebrate Christmas or the holidays, you you know that it's a gauntlet of things. You go you do this this day, you do this oh the next my gosh, day. Yes. And you have like almost like a checklist of, you know, the different traditions you do and then you added something new in and you go do You this. have the kids Christmas play this day and the scout get together that day and you know yeah. So which story out of these did you like the best? Harley and Ivy, hello. Of course. <laughs> I'm, you know, I think I'm still, I mean, as much, I like all of them. If I, you know, there's not one of them I don't like, but I don't know. I, I still like the bat. I really like the Batgirl one. I don't know. It's just, it's, 
it's just, uh, you know, there's, it's real lean. There's not a whole lot of, none of them are because they're so short. But, I mean, they're just little perfect little character vignettes. And, well, and, and here's a logic bomb for you as to why I don't like this. Oh, you knew it was going to happen. We're going to have to uh, have a segment called The Adventures of Logic Class, like an intro. <laughs> and, then you, and then you come in and blow up the story. Go ahead. Here's my point. The whole point of being undercover is to be under the radar, being under notice. I'm sorry, but any Santa Claus that looks like Harvey Bullock, everybody in that store is going to go, oh my God, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Everybody's going to notice. Not under the radar, not undercover. This is where the element of comedy comes in, dear. It's funny because he's not a very good Santa Claus. Logic. Comedy. <laughs> For laughs, they make him Santa Claus because he's a big slob and they barely Not disguise logical. him. Doesn't have to be logical. Not it's logical. a comic book about a guy that dresses in tights and fights crime. <laughs> Moving on. <sighs> so, as we said, if you haven't read this comic, you may still be saying, wait a minute. I know these stories. I've, I've, I've heard this. I've seen this somewhere. Well, you're not crazy. Well, maybe you're crazy, but you still saw it. Because <laughs> this comic was adapted into the very first episode produced for the new Batman Adventures version of the animated series when the show was merged with Superman the Animated Series and became the new Batman Superman Adventures. That episode was called Holiday Nights, and it originally aired... Very strangely, on September 13th, 1997. Now, I don't remember that. I don't either. I remember... Now, I, sure? I looked it up in the Batman animated book by Paul Dini and Chip Kidd and online in several places, and that's what they list as the as the debut date the, for that the premiere date for that oh, episode. Oh, wow. I mean, I could even understand if it was, say, October, but September? Well, see, I don't recall them now... When that came on, I think we had trouble getting the, uh, we were still in Moorhead when we went to school, and we didn't get WGN. Oh, that's true. So that's true. I had my mom record them for me, uh, and, right. and uh, or had the VCR set up for it, and she just made sure she put tapes in and stuff. It was the only way I could watch it. And uh, the, you know, I mean, internet was around, but you couldn't, you know, nobody could watch anything on it. So... I remembered, at least on the WGN, which showed the WB shows back then, right? that they aired The World's Finest first, and then they aired this as it got closer to Christmas. But I may have missed that one. I don't know. But I don't remember it premiering that early, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but apparently it really did. But well, anyway. Anyway. So the episode was written by Paul Dini and directed by Dan Reba, uh, which we, you know, worked on the comic. Uh, when Kids WB picked up the show after Fox didn't renew it, they had a short window of time. So adapting this comic bought them some oh, extra yeah. time, it, you know, because the stories were ready to go. You had your storyboards done. Yeah, the the only real difference is there's a couple differences, but the character, uh, you know, when when they said we want more Batman episodes to to you know freshen up the the pot and and to you know air them with Superman. And Bruce Tam had streamlined the look of the Superman characters mm -hmm. and 
he wanted to make things more interesting for himself, so he streamlined the Batman characters, which I think we've covered the last time we talked to right, right. Batman animated series. So the characters in the animated, the actual episode, are in the new style, the new Batman Adventure right. style. <clears throat> Another change was they took the Mr. Freeze story out, probably because of time and also because of what I mentioned, that it was no longer made sense in continuity. Right, it was out of canon by that point. Right. The Sub-Zero movie actually got delayed. It was supposed to come out in the spring or summer of 97, around the same time that the aforementioned Batman and Robin movie came out. But it kept getting pushed back. And it actually ended up coming out after the new Batman Adventures got rolling and we saw Mr. Freeze again in a much different form. Right, right. So it was kind of a strange bit of weird continuity going on. Another thing that's it's a little odd is the, the order of the segments changed because uh, Harley and Ivy's romp took place on uh, December 22nd and was the first story. Mm-hmm. And then Batgirl Clayface uh, story occurred on Christmas Eve. Another change they did was in the new Batman Adventures, they introduced Tim Drake as Robin. And he appeared in nearly every episode, either him and or Batgirl. Right. And uh, so they put him in the Joker segment with Batman. There's some nice little bits in there where um, I like where, you know, he he's doing like kid things. Because he's, you know, he's he's a, a lot younger Robin than we'd ever seen on the animated series because Dick was in college. Right. And like you see when Batman's up on a rooftop, he's like walking along the edge balancing. And then my favorite parts were they when they come into the crowd at, at Gotham Square, Batman jumps out of an alleyway and leaps on, leaps on top of a bus, and Tim jumps and misses the top. And he's, like, <laughs> and he's like, oof, you know, and he's like hanging on the side, he has to pull himself up. There's just little, just little cute, uh, cute little moments there. The Harley and Ivy segment, as much as you like the comic, I think it actually works better in the Well, animated. oh, I don't disagree. I mean, I really don't. I mean, it's one of those things with the music and stuff like that. You're getting more of the reaction and all that good stuff. Yeah. If there's nothing else, that musical, there's a music montage Mm -hmm. that shows them trying on the clothes and the jewelry and everything that they bought with Bruce's money while it shows Bruce just signing, uh, you know, receipts. Yeah. (coughs) I really did think it was funny. And they played this up in both the comic book and the cartoon is that, you know, Harley and Ivy have such a different sense of style. You know, when oh, Ivy's yeah. buying the clothes, she's very classic, very, you know. Yeah. And Harley's all. She's got know? on like bibbed overalls and, and cra- crazy looking clog shoes. And, and, yeah. But they both find the hats. Yeah. And they're like, yay. Yeah. Got, you know, this is something we have in common, not just our homicidal tendencies, but we love hats. Yeah. You know? they, yay, there you go. It's giant, big, giant, poofy hats. Yeah. The in the final segment, there's the set of drunks that the the bartender kicks out. They look suspiciously like Bruce Tim, Glenn Murakimi, and and a designer on the show named Shane Glines. The the owner bartender he looks a little bit like Paul Dini, but I'm not 100 percent sure that's supposed to be him. It kind of does. The whole overall the adaptation, you know, it was very faithful as to what they did. You know, not. I wouldn't say shot for shot, but... It's pretty dead on. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, there were a few things that they cut out that could have been possibly controversial, you know, little details that they changed here Like they there. didn't say that Harley was Jewish. And, right, right. And they, didn't, and they didn't show the dead scientist. Like right. He, they showed a picture 
of him with the Joker grin, but Gordon already had a like a photo from the crime scene. Right, right. But that also kept him from having to animate that. You know, they just showed Batman and Robin in Gordon's office, and he gave him the rundown, and he True. had the mufflers, and you know, he explained it. So it kind of sped things up a little bit. One thing that stuck out to me when rewatching this, re- reading the comic, then rewatching this. Batgirl's quick change at the store is is more risque here than in the comic. Right, because in the comic she gets um, changed in a dressing room. Right, and but in there she's just out in the open, just behind. She goes behind a shelf. Yeah, she's just behind a shelf. You know, no no big deal. And it still shows her bare shoulders as she's putting her Batgirl top on. So she was naked Naked. in the middle of a store. In the middle of a store. (laughs) Ow. Christopher. Hey, it runs deep, all right? Yvonne Craig, it runs deep. You know. <laughs> Batman, surprisingly, still gets shot in the arm, which is amazing that they got away with it, but the WB was... I was going to say, they changed networks by this point. Yeah, so. the WB was far more lenient uh-huh. than, uh, than Fox had been. So, uh, you know, it was really cool when this episode aired to see... This comic, you know, brought to life. And this wasn't the only one they do this way. They would adapt the Bruce Tim Paul Dini classic Mad Love uh, story as well, which is the last episode of the series. So they bookended the series by oh, that's true by adapting the two other two other comic stories. And in fact, uh, another the the Batman animated uh, the Batman Adventures Annual Number Two. Uh, had uh, work by Tim and company and uh, Paul Dini, of course, and uh, involved the demon. And then on the New Batman Adventures, the demon appeared there. Now, they didn't adapt that story, but they almost acted as if it that comic was in continuity because Batman knew the demon. Mm. So you could assume that that story happened. Right. So that was kind of neat. But yeah, so that was that's always a fun one. We always watch it every year. Yeah, it's one sure. of the things. That, you know, we make sure we watch. You know, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, Christmas Story, yeah. Elf, yeah, this episode. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's certain things you got to make sure. Charlie you watch, Brown, you know, Rudolph, Garfield's Frosty. Christmas. Yeah, so and this is you know thrown in there because it's great. I mean, it covers it covers all the bases. You know, now uh, without the Mister Freeze, you don't quite get the sentimental Christmas. Right. Christmas story in this one. But you get a little bit of that at the end with Gordon and and uh, Batman, which is, you know, I love the lines like, Gordon's like, how's that arm? Better than the Joker's. <laughs> now, one thing about it is, like you said, you know, they didn't adapt the Mr. Freeze story. Right. However, you know, in the comic book, it was seen as important enough to be featured on the cover. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's true. So, that, that's not the one that's the one... Uh, story that's missing was the cover feature. <laughs> you know, I was just like... Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have another Christmas story from Paul Dini, Bruce Tim, and the fine crew at Warner Brothers Animation. Well, hey there. This is Huckleberry Ham. And when I'm not busy making movies or TV shows, I enjoy listening to my favorite internet radio show, Two True Freaks. They got all sorts of shows for y'all to listen to, covering all sorts of geeky topics. Star Trek, Star Wars, cartoons, scary movies, folks eating supper, music, giant monsters, and one feller who buys stuff at garage sales. 
And the funny books. My word, the funny books. Old funny books. New funny books. Scary funny books. Movies about funny books. Funny books about movies. British fellers talking about funny books. And lots more. So why don't you check these fellers out? Head on over to twotruefreaks.com and tell them Huckleberry sent you. Two True Freaks, chock full of great podcasts since 2008. Here comes Santa Claus, 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 Okay, now we're going to talk about another episode from the DC Animated Universe, and that comes from Justice League Season 2, an episode called Comfort and Joy, and its original air date was December 13th, 2003, written by Paul Dini, directed by Butch Lukic, so ties right in, you know. Mm-hmm. The roll call on this one was Flash, Green Lantern, Hot Girl, Martian Manhunter, and Superman. Okay, so the synopsis is as follows. After successfully stopping two worlds from colliding, the Justice League members depart to celebrate Christmas break. Apparently there's not going to be any crime in between now and then. Yeah. But anyway, um, Green Lantern chooses to explore a bit on the frozen world they have saved, and Hot Girl stays with him. Martian Manhunter says the holidays have no meaning for him, which Superman sees as a challenge. Flash visits the Central City Orphanage and asks the kids what they would like for their annual Christmas present. All of the children are obsessed with the new DJ Rubber Ducky electronic doll. It's DJ Rubber Ducky! I'm the Rubber Ducky with all the fly moves. Rocking his house with my tight grooves. Go Rubber, go Rubber, go Rubber Ducky. <laughs> that actually is pretty cool. Okay, DJ Rubba Ducky it is. Flash assures them that he'll make sure they get one, but soon finds the doll is very popular and sold out everywhere. Going directly to the source, Flash visits the manufacturer's home office in Japan and is gifted with one. Racing back to Central City, he stops to investigate an explosion at an art museum. There, he finds the ultra-humanite determined to destroy the modern art exhibits, which he considers not art at all. You know what? Not saying anything wrong. Anyway, um, in the in the melee, the humanite crushes the DJ Rubber Ducky doll. A despondent Flash lets his foe get the drop on him, and he is knocked unconscious. He awakens in the villain's lab, where surprisingly, the ultra humanite is repairing the doll. The humanite calls a temporary truce for the season. You'll be happy to know, Flash, that your words, jejun though they were, did not fall on deaf ears. I appreciate the sentiment behind them and therefore call a truce in honor of the season. Seriously? You'll have the toy to give to your young friends. I'm improving it too. It's not going to blow up or anything. Flash, it is Christmas. Okay, but why did you hit me? You hit me first. Hand me that screwdriver, will you? Flash coerces his treaty partner into appearing as Freaky the Snowman to the children as they deliver the doll. 
Instead of making the poopy noise as before, DJ Rubber Ducky now tells the story of the Nutcracker as the children watch in awe. Later, Flash waits in Ultra's prison cell with a present, an aluminum Christmas tree. He turns on some colored lights, stares at the tree, and smiles continually. Green Lantern enjoys some snowboarding on the ice world, much to Hot Girl's dismay. Why does he like snow so much, and how can this be thrilling to a space fairy hero? Green Lantern then engages Shaira in a snowball fight, using his power ring to win the day. Hot Girl still doesn't get the festive season, but she does know how to celebrate victory. She takes her teammate to a wild bar on an alien world where everyone knows her name. Ah, I think I've heard that song before. <laughs> they also know how to fight, and Hot Girl quickly picks one, but blames it on Green Lantern. A huge brawl erupts with everyone joining in. This is insane! Yeah, isn't it great? Much better than a snowball fight. Oh, much! Hours later, after the carnage is over, the combatants are either unconscious or asleep. Hawk Girl snuggles into Green Lantern and with a kiss on the cheek, wishes him a Merry Christmas. Back on Earth, Superman as Clark Kent arrives at his parents' farm with a guest for the holidays, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. John is surprised to find the Kents so welcoming and Clark so childlike and excited by the Christmas season. When Martha Kent gives him a Christmas sweater, he regrets not having a gift to give her in return. Later that night, he heads into town and observes humanity as it celebrates the season. He helps a little girl's faith in Santa Claus by eating the Oreo cookie she left and then listens to a church choir sing Christmas hymns. This touches a nerve with the Martian. The next morning, an elated Clark Kent wakes up to an exciting Christmas morning. His sprint for his gifts is stopped when he hears a melodic alien tone. It's his friend singing the hymns of his home world. As he embraces his parents, Clark comments, And he said he didn't bring a gift. This episode opens up with the League saving Endor from crashing into Hoth. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> or Hoth much... from crashing into Endor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it looks like that's the first thing Andrew said this year when we watched it. He's like, oh, Endor. <laughs> yeah. like, and they're on an ice world, and then there's this world with trees, but little Brussels sprouty-looking brain things. And yeah, there's kind of... Yeah, those were kind of, yeah. But... but uh, one thing I did like, and this is just a little goofy, goofy thing, but Hot Girl on this frozen world has on a jacket. jacket. They address the fact that, you know, she runs around bare-armed and, you know, she's got just a halter top on. So. Yeah, she's going to be a little chilly. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so I'm glad they did that because that type of stuff always bothered me. It always bothered me when you'd see, like, on the Super Friends, Robin running around in the Arctic and his... Short pants. Short pants and booties, you know. But, see, he's wearing bat thermal underwear. Yeah, that's true. Good. Sorry, I had to Good throw point. that out there. Good point. One, another thing that, when I first watched this episode, I, I, was th I thought to myself, finally, Green Lantern is using his power ring to make something other than bubbles and lasers. Uh, you know, he, he, he makes a snowman. He, like, scoops up the, the three big snowballs and then uses his ring to make the... The eyes, the carrot nose, yeah, the, 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 the hat, everything else out of his power ring. He has an imagination. 
Congratulations. Right. Yay. Paul Dini comes in. Now, the thing is, Paul Dini was not as involved in Justice League. I, I don't believe he was ever involved as a producer, and he just wrote an occasional episode. Mm. So he wasn't in the in day-to-day like he had been on the other series. He had moved on, but came back occasionally. So this was kind of like a, a special treat. So I think maybe where he came from outside the usual writing team, you know, he just, oh, Green Lantern makes things with his power ring. Right. right. You know, and, and Bruce Tim has said in interviews that he regretted that, you know, they were they were struggling. The first season of Justice League, and Bruce Tim will admit this, isn't the greatest. You know, it's kind of a weak point as far as the animated series go. Well, I mean, and that happened with the Batman series as well. They had right. to find, find their groove. Yeah, but know? see, you know, they kind of hit the ground running with Superman and the new Batman Adventures and Batman Beyond. There's not really any weak... I mean, there's there's weak episodes here and there, but there's not like a weak season. You know, it's not like a run of episodes that are that are really weak. And, uh, and you know, the first season of Justice League is a little weak. But he said, uh, you know, one thing that they regretted was they had looked at Green Lantern and said, you know, okay, why would you really make, if you can make a force bubble or a laser, why would you make a giant boxing glove? Why would you make this and that? But they, at the end of the day, it's just cool. It's yeah. It's the visual is cool. Whether it seems hokey or not, it's 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 what people expect, and it's just neat to see. You know, it's neat yeah. to see that oh, he created that with it, and that's what's fun here because he makes you know he he you know with Shire like you know dumps all this snow on him, he makes all these hands appear and throw snowballs, you know, better than Buddy the Elf. So it's see that's again, there's Elf again. Yep. Do you think that DJ Rubba Ducky looks a little bit like Howard the Duck? I just think it's something silly. Yeah. I mean, I perhaps, but I, I think that's because we're also thinking, you know, we've seen Guardians of the Galaxy fairly recently, and mm. so Howard the Duck has been on our mind anyway. And, and I, I have to bring up the fact that I watched and let the kids watch Howard the Duck about every episode now. So. I, I, again, <laughs> I, I say I claim I was not here, so that is all on you as a bad parenting decision. <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> uh, that uh, you know when when Jean comes to the Kent farm, I love his line that you know my name is Jean, I'm a Martian. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, oh, we're used to aliens around here. Come on in, yeah, baby. Come on, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, another another nice little bit of of continuity for you know that little that all geeks love is uh, they say that Kara. Uh, a.k.a. Supergirl, who's living with the Kents, right. is off skiing with Barbara, which is a nice nod to, to Bad them. girl, yeah. Yeah, because they, uh, unfortunately, on Justice League, after a certain point, they weren't allowed to use any Batman characters beyond Batman, uh, because the Batman was going, which I just thought was ridiculous. Oh, that's just... And I really good. think, I think, this has been a few years since I really put a lot of thought into this, but I think Dick and Barbara were just seen very briefly in... Uh, that uh, in the Savage Time episode in the Ultimate oh, in the World, future, yeah. where Batman's got the um, the army that's uh-huh, fighting Vandal yeah. Savage, they, they were like shown like kissing or something. Yeah, and, and it was just as an offshoot, and you know, could have been anybody, but then that's who you yeah, know. Pretty much it was a dark haired guy yeah. with a mullet and a red, cute red headed girl, so it was probably more likely them too. Right. And then you saw Nightwing on a rooftop in Justice League Unlimited because they basically sneaked him in, and that's pretty much all they could do with him, which sucked. 
Uh, in Kara's room, Jean spies some some stuffed animals. You know, you got Wally Coyote and a few other ones, but one that sticks out is this orange alien-looking thing, and that's actually Jean's Silver Age alien sidekick pet named Zook, who yeah. was his uh, little companion in his uh, House of Mystery run, which uh, he it's had. Kind of remind me of an orange gleek. Yeah, he lo- looks a little gleeky looking now you know that you say I mean? that. They got the same kind of mouth. Yeah, it's true. I'm pretty sure that boy band poster on her wall had to be some of the people that worked on the show. It, they looked too... Non-boy bandish. Right, and too much like actual people. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure who they were supposed to be. One thing I really like about this, on this episode and the, the episode that's Just League Unlimited that's set around the Flash Museum, the people in Central City treat Flash like a local hero. I mean, mm-hmm. like, everybody kind of knows him. They're real casual around him. It's just like he's just like, you know. And he's always helping, you know. Like, right. He, I'll paint your fence. I'll do this. Yeah, know, let me help yeah. you do, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I really I really like that that take on him, which kind of, you know, you kind of got that feeling that that in the Silver Age, of course, that was Barry, this is Wally, but you got that feeling that the Flash is like that. And, they, and even on the Flash, the new Flash TV show, they've shown him do little things like that when he's running. And people don't really know it's him, but he's. Like running around doing little things for people like that, which which I like. That's that's one thing that sets Flash apart from, you know, other like the super serious, you know, crime fighters like Batman and right. and things like that. Which there's no Batman in this episode. They you know Superman says like you know Batman he he practically begged for Monitor duty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean they mention him, but yeah. that's it. No Wonder Woman in this episode, which is, was unusual at the time. Flash's hunt for for DJ Rubaducky is. Is uh, kind of reminiscent of Arnold in Jingle All the Jingle Way. All the way. Yeah. Looking for Turbo Man. <laughs> well, he lives in red and gold, you know. So. I know. That, you know that movie? I haven't watched it all the way through in a long time, but I remember going to the theater and seeing that because we didn't have that was back when we saw every movie that came out. Yeah, it was yeah. a buck. Yeah, where we were at at Moorhead at Winter College, but <laughs> that movie, it's like. Of course, it's silly, all the different things that happen to him and Sinbad as they go look. But at the end, you know, all of a sudden, okay, this the, the, the this parade, this guy has an operational jet pack and all this stuff. Like, it's just what? like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like at the last minute. The Turbo Man suit's actually pretty cool looking, I will say that. Though. But, but anyway, how the hell we get on that anyway? I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> there, there are a few times in this episode... That, you know, we watch this episode again every year, you know, just like we do the Batman one. There's a couple of parts in it that are a little dicey with kids and Santa Claus. Because, like, you know, uh, the Kents, they make a, they, the Johnson's like, oh, we had to wrap all Clark's presents in lead foil because he, you know, he, you know, he had to, uh, you know, he tried to see what, you know, what they were. And, and Clark's like, you mean Santa wrapped them? And Ma, Ma Kent's like, ah, uh, yes, dear, Santa wrapped him. You know, it's like just, just like, little, still won't give up the ghost. Right, but just little things like that. And then when Jean, you know, he puts his hand down the chimney and grabs an Oreo cookie. I just you know. want to know what Santa thought about that when he got there. Yeah, well, that's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm saying. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Jesus. But, but. We're talking kind of low because, you know, our seven-year-old's down the hall, so, you know. Yeah, she's asleep. She should be, but you never know with her. 
But but and also nice little in joke with the Oreo cookie. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, they established that John in the comics likes Oreos. This episode's full of in jokes and little Easter eggs and and especially when they get to the alien world when John and John when John Stewart and and uh, Shire land uh, you see all these characters walking by. Right, right. And this time we were actually going, oh, this what guy looks like the question. And this is the swamp thing. And, you know, here's, you know, the guy, Voltan, and, you know, all of these different ones. I mean, yeah. I know you saw a bunch, too. So. Yeah, there was a Voltan and a lion man uh, looked like from the filmation Flash Gordon, kind of. Uh, there was one that looked like Groot, which I'm not sure it was supposed to be Groot at that point. Right. right. Uh, but uh, and the weirdest one that I noticed when I was really trying to write notes, there was a guy that looked like when, you know, Edward G. Robinson, of course, was a famous actor, played, you know, nah, see, nah, where all that comes from, yeah. played gangster, you know, famous for playing a gangster more than anything else. Uh, he was in, you know, they lampooned him in Bugs Bunny cartoons. Mm-hmm. And there's a little alien robot looking thing. It's like, it almost looks, the back end almost looks like a insectoid Herbie the robot, mm-hmm. but the head looks like the Edward G. Robinson from the Bugs Bunny cartoon. It's, and he's even got a cigar. It's really strange. I'm like, okay, what were the... There, yeah. Somebody had some special Christmas brownies. I think. <laughs> that's that's all I got to say. Uh, the bartender, I, I can't. I, I started to go look this up, but my Who's Who. Uh, it's in the, I think the binder version of Who's Who, and right now they're buried under a bunch of stuff, and I just couldn't go dig them out. But I'm pretty sure the bartender in the the uh, Green Lantern uh, Hot Girl sequence is uh, from the acronym Legion. I'm not spelling that, and I'm not going Legion, period, E, period, blah. I'm not doing all that. But that Legion book that was set in the current time that had, like, Brainiac's Five's ancestor leading that, you know, that group in the early 90s, I'm pretty sure that bartender character was from that comic. Okay. He looked familiar to me, or he was the same kind of alien. <laughs> Ultra-humanite as a terrorist art critic is kind of a fun concept. <laughs> I mean, you know, I... I, I his yeah, I mean, as somebody that you know went to school for art and has a degree in art, you know, there's a lot of people that just just pass off utter crap as art. You know? Oh yeah, they just got a good line of bull maneuver. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, there's there was, I mean, the whole place, you know, Flash went in there and thought he'd blown the place up, but it was just really bad art. <laughs> yeah, he's like, no, sadly, this is the way it looks. Yeah, I really like the the actor that plays. Ultra Humanite and him, the interplay with him and Michael Rosenbaum as Flash, which I like, love Michael Rosenbaum as oh Flash. Oh my gosh, yes. As anyway, it, but you know, going back to that uh, previous episode, Batman had actually, you know, paid. Um, oh, that's right. Paid Humanite off to betray the the secret society of supervillains by like funding public television. Yeah. <laughs> In his name. In his yeah. name, it's like. I mean, it's make, like he gave a million dollar. Donation. I'll make a pledge. You know, for. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I, I keep trying to figure out why is the ultra human like that? <laughs> yeah, on here you kind of wonder. I mean, in the comic books. Well, you know, I know, I know, but yeah. I'm, you know, as far as on this version, this yeah. version, you know, other he, than he wants good education for kids, he wants good art that's not crap. I mean, right. you know, he wants to fund public television. I want his has a patron of my public library. You know. <laughs> He probably would be. <laughs> you know, I, can, I think it would 
be friends with him. I could be down with this version of the ultra humanite. You could be friends with the dude who put his brain inside a mutated albino ape. I married you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Damn. Oh, anybody got any aloe vera? <laughs> I have a wicked burn. Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, I love Ultra Humanites answer to why Flash is like, oh, you know, he's like, I, you know, I propose a truce, you know, and then and, and the spirits of the, the season. spirits of the season and, and I will fix your toy and all this, you know, and, and Flash is like, OK, just one question. Why did you hit me? You hit me first. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Hand me that screwdriver. I, I love that. You know, it's just like, again, I think I could get down with him in this particular version. You know, it's it's kind of weird uh, when John John changes into John Jones. Not quite detective, but, you know, basically John Jones detective. But I think because Carl Lumley, uh, you know, obviously African-American actor, is the voice of, of John... And then you had Phil Morris play Jean on Smallville. It seems weird now that he didn't change it to an African American. Right, He's but just, that's us viewing it now versus viewing, viewing it then. then. Yeah, because at that time he made, was yeah. Caucasian in the comic books. Yeah, it was, so it made. I mean, it made sense, but in a way. But now watching it now, you're kind of like, wait a minute. You know, why didn't they just go ahead and have him change it? Because you know, because Carl Lumley's doing his voice, but. But in you know to get back at that, Phil Morris was the voice of the white Vandal Savage on Justice. League. Oh well, yeah, yeah, I forgot so, that. Hey, okay. you know whatever. And he was really good at. It. Oh yeah, but we've got to do the hereafter episode with Superman and Vandal Savage. We got to think what else to do though. Ah, uh, that's well, it's two parter. Well, so that's it's true. an hour. Well, that's true. Because that is my one of my favorite episodes. And I don't see that one mentioned as much as some of the other ones. We call dibs. Yeah, we call dibs. But I absolutely <laughs> love that episode. That's just all kinds of awesome. And it's very different. You know, it's like, uh, it's it's just, uh, I don't think Superman's, I mean, it's kind of like a version of the classic Superman Under the Red Sun story from the Silver Age. And it's got other elements of, you know, the bearded Superman from the, from the exile storyline in the comic books and but oh I gotta shut up wrong. Uh-huh. Oh we'll ruin it if we do talk about it. Uh-huh. Uh you know, we kinda talked about how the the Batman episode when they took the Mr. Freeze story out was kind of missing that kind of touching part. Well they made up for it with John mm-hmm. John in this one. It's surprisingly spiritual. It, you know, without being heavy handed are really potentially right. offensive to any denomination or anybody that doesn't celebrate Christmas. They skirt that line. Basically, you know, the hymns that he heard reminded him of the ones he sang right. on his world. So he got it, you know, whether he yeah. specifically believed that or not, he got it. And that's not easy to do. They did a great job with that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the way it ends, he's Christmas petty. is a time and season of love. Right, I mean that's so what, you know that's that's what it comes yeah that's basically what it comes down to and uh, he's petting the cat that uh, is streaky oh, yeah Kara's, that's another thing yeah Kara's cat it's streaky the, the super cat but not a which super is cat. why our our cat's name is actually streaky so yes she did let me name the cat streaky so. <laughs> I'm sorry but I put my foot down on the whole crypto issue. Mm. 
If we ever have a white dog, I named it Crypto. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but the dog is tan, so no. Okay. Yeah. If I ever have a big German Shepherd, I'm naming it an Ace. Fair enough. <laughs> so I think that'll about uh, that about covers it all. So uh, yeah, we we pop those in every year, and usually watch Christmas with the Joker too. But uh, right, right. But right. we thought we we cover those two, and you know, so so as we bid adieu to you on this episode of Supermates, we want to tell everybody Merry Christmas, yes. Happy New Year, yes. I hope you find lots of cool geeky stuff under your tree. Yes, and you know, hope you have a good time. Spend it with those you love. Be safe. And especially don't be stupid. Be responsible. Be responsible. Have a good time. And uh, we'll see you all next year. That's right. Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide. The fictional characters and events mentioned in this show are trademark and copyright their respective owners. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their owners, and we mean no infringement by either. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Now bring us a figgy pudding. Now figgy pudding. No, figgy pudding. It's made with figs. Oh, sorry. And bacon. What? We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some. We and I'll tell you a story. Is that DJ Rubber Ducky? He sounds weird. Little Clara had just received a beautiful toy nutcracker from her godfather, the mysterious Herr Drosselmeyer. Well, an improvement, wouldn't you say? I kind of liked it when he made the poopy noise. That night, as Clara slept beneath the Christmas tree, her beloved toy came alive to lead her but on this a is good too. adventure. 